I wrote a little LinkedIn ditty last week about imposter syndrome versus my growth mindset. And it put me in mind of this episode from the archives from two and a half years ago, just at the beginning of the pandemic as it happens. I listened to it on my walk today and thought, this one deserves a rerun. So that's what this week's episode is. A rerun of episode 65, Tips and Tricks for Outsmarting Imposter Syndrome. One thing you'll notice, and I didn't edit this out, this episode is from when the podcast was still called All the Responsibility, None of the Authority. A great name, but not as good as the new name, The Secrets of Product Management. But all the links I mentioned still work, so feel free to go to secretsofpm.com slash 65 or alltheresponsibility.com slash 65. You'll end up in the same place with slightly updated show notes. I'll put a link to that LinkedIn post I made last week just to make a little bit of an addition. Now, as I mentioned in the episode, it originally grew out of a pep talk I gave myself, which I still have to give myself regularly. It's an evergreen topic, and I hope you enjoy it and find it valuable. Without any more ado, here's tips and tricks for outsmarting imposter syndrome. Now, I may seem very confident, and there definitely are things I'm confident about, but like a lot of people, there are times when I have serious doubts about my capabilities, my knowledge, my achievements, and so on. You know, I'm always questioning or second-guessing my own ideas and skills, you know, wondering if I really should be sharing them out to you on my podcast episodes, or if I'm prioritizing my backlog correctly, or if I am the right person to take on this new project. This is kind of like imposter syndrome, although I'm not really talking about the psychological syndrome precisely, but more a general sense of, do I really belong here, and is what I'm bringing to the table actually valuable? You know, as I said, this is something that a lot of people struggle with, even highly successful, famous people. For example, Maya Angelou, multi-award winning author, said, I have written 11 books, but each time I think, uh-oh, they're going to find out now, I've run a game on everybody and they're going to find me out. You can check the show notes for some links to articles like 25 Stars Who Suffer From Imposter Syndrome and 12 Leaders, Entrepreneurs, and Celebrities Who Have Struggled With Imposter Syndrome for even more of these stories. But you'll see that it happens to everybody. You know, of course, we're all often out over our skis. It's the nature of being creative, knowledge-based, complex work. Our world is the frontier of unknown knowledge, even if it's just how to put the next set of words together for a marketing campaign or a podcast script, or deciding between two potentially great features, which one you're going to have the team build. Part of the thing about imposter syndrome is that it is kind of comforting in a certain way. You know you're in over your head a little bit, and especially if you fail on your next attempt, you never should have been in this situation anyway. It's sort of a pre-handling of that disappointment. So imposter syndrome gives you permission to fail in a kind of backhanded way, and that's good to have permission to fail, but you're using the wrong reasoning. You know, failure as a creative person is necessary for innovation, for creation of all the things. You're going to make a lot of mistakes, and a lot of things aren't going to work out. But imposter syndrome can have the opposite impact. It can make you fail to get started. It'll make you fail to innovate because you didn't do it, as opposed to having tried it and failed and recognizing that that's part of the job. So let's just agree in advance that imposter syndrome is mostly, if not all, irrational thinking. We all know that we didn't rationally get where we are today without having something on the ball. It doesn't make it any less painful when it happens to recognize that. And there are some techniques you can use for handling imposter syndrome that work by building up your spirit 
you know, sort of working directly with your less rational side, since it is an irrational response. People use meditation to quiet the monkey mind, and they use yoga to strengthen both the body and the spirit. Affirmations can be really powerful for quelling and taming the subconscious negativity. You know, I love Stuart Smiley's famous, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. That is directly about overcoming imposter syndrome. But in this episode, I'm going to talk about some more rational, if slightly unusual, approaches to handling imposter syndrome. Now, I know that persuasion, even of yourself, has both emotional and rational components. And I believe affirmations like smileys are powerful, especially if you can augment them with a real reason to believe, meaning looking at some absurd facts about the world. Now, I think it's possible that Imposter syndrome, as I've mentioned, is especially challenging for those of us who work in complex realms with lots of uncertainty, where, in some sense, our job is to predict the future. You know, that's really the nature of what we do in product. As product managers, product marketers, entrepreneurs, we try to predict what's going to happen. In fact, we assert what's going to happen. And as Niels Bohr might have said, or maybe Yoga Berra said it, prediction is hard, especially about the future. So the likelihood of our predictions being right well, of course, we bring expertise in to help us get better at making predictions, but they're still about the future, and if we were really good at it, we'd go play the stock market instead of creating products. Hi, this is Nels Davis, and you're listening to episode number 65 of All the Responsibility, None of the Authority. In this podcast, as you know, I give product managers and product marketers and entrepreneurs tools and techniques for being more effective, creating better products that customers love and using your skills and talent to create more value in the world. You can find notes for this show, plus a form for leaving me feedback on this show or asking questions at alltheresponsibility.com slash 65. That's the show notes. The fundamental product management claim, if I build an X, then people will buy it, is it's fundamentally fortune-telling. But that is the statement that we make when building a product for the market. Obviously, I may know a lot or a little about the people who I think will buy Solution X. I may know that they really need an X because I've done my market research. Now, presumably, if you listen to my podcast regularly, you know all about market discovery and finding validated market problems and all that. But once you've done that and you've built a solution, is it guaranteed you're going to be able to sell it? Well, not really, even if you've got your go-to-market altogether. In fact, just to give you an example, one of my big imposter areas right now is the whole selling it part of this podcast and the online training courses that I'm building. Not only do I have to figure out how to build an online training course, this is within reach, I feel, but still with a lot of unknowns, but I have to sell it. And that's farther outside my zone of expertise. And this podcast episode kind of arose out of a pep talk for myself, you know, grew out of some writing that I was doing to try to help myself keep on track with this personal side project. And as I was doing this writing, basically whinging and whining to myself about myself, I told myself I really needed to snap out of it because, in fact, I realized I have some mental models, some techniques and tools that have worked in the past to help me with my own imposter syndrome, and I needed to remember to use them. So as I was writing this to myself, I realized, oh, other people might be able to use these ideas as well. So this episode is about some of the things that I do to help me get through the doubts and fears of all the things that I need to do, whether those are in my day job or as a podcaster and coach and trainer, and I hope they'll be useful for you. The way I'm going to structure this, I have a lot of different ideas for how to manage imposter syndrome. I'll drill down into four 
that might not be so obvious, and I'll list a few more briefly at the end. And some of these might almost seem to be cheating, but I found them really helpful. So let me first of all talk about the four that I use a lot myself. They might not be the best four, but they're my four. And some of these ideas I would say are a little counterintuitive, and some are things that are true but are kind of hard to see or understand, but you'll hopefully get a sense of how you might make use of them. So let's set this up a bit. Say there's something you need to do as part of your job or to move your business along. It involves creativity. For example, you may need to write a data sheet for your product or a sales page. Or maybe you're a new product manager and you need to write your first feature spec. Whatever it might be, something that you consider challenging that's outside your comfort zone and for which you're worried that your effort will expose you finally as an imposter. So hopefully you're with me on this. And so here's some of the things that I would do if I was in that situation. The first thing is I would compare myself to other people. So I know, hang on a minute, I know what you're thinking. There's a great saying that I learned from a Buddhist friend. You are not better than anyone else. You are not worse than anyone else. You are not the same as anyone else. And that is a good way to think about you and other people most of the time. And it's not just Buddhists who are against comparisons. Everyone warns against comparing yourself to others. And it is true that, as with most of the advice I have in this episode, it can be pernicious if done too much or not done correctly. But there are times, I've found, when comparing yourself to others can be very helpful. And this is one of those times. So I'm going to suggest that you compare yourself to others who are successfully doing what you need to do to see if they have some kind of superpowers, to see if they have some intrinsic advantage that you don't have that enables them to succeed. And there's actually two possible outcomes of this assessment, right? First of all, maybe they don't have superpowers. They don't have superpowers around this activity. Then maybe the fact that you don't have superpowers either doesn't mean you can't do it or means maybe you can do it. If someone else can do it, then I can probably do it with the parenthetical if they don't have superpowers. So this is a very useful tool to, to use to say, oh, there's that other person who's successfully doing this thing. Does that person know something I don't know? No. Have they maybe done it more often? Something like that. That's not a superpower. That's practice. And then you can look at them and say, oh, well, if they can do it, I can probably do it. I use that all the time. What if the person you're looking at does have superpowers? Well, again, there are two possibilities. First, maybe you can actually just borrow or swipe or appropriate what they do or hire them to do it for you. In other words, instead of counting on your own ability to do the thing, you start using their ability. Of course, this means you do have to be decent at appropriation or at getting someone to do the work for you. But it means maybe you don't have to do it yourself and the best approach is to get someone else to do it. But even someone who's very successful who does have superpowers, that doesn't mean you can't be successful enough at that task even without superpowers. So mostly, in most situations, you don't actually have to be the best. Say the person you're looking at is the world's best person at writing data sheets. Well, you're never going to be as good as that person, even if you did have superpowers, because they're the best. But maybe you can be not that great at writing data sheets, but still be good enough to write a data sheet that will do the job for the moment. You know, you just have to be good enough. Now, I always think about Jay Abraham. He's one of the most famous and successful and just all-around amazing marketers in the world. He's the best, and people pay him literally hundreds of thousands of dollars an hour to consult. But that doesn't mean that thousands of other people can't also be successful marketers, even if they don't have Jay Abraham's superpowers. How do they do that? Well, one is they copy him, right? And he is very open about sharing his techniques 
They don't really give you superpowers, but they're things you can swipe. And of course, they can pay him to do the work. That's another alternative. Or they can do marketing that just isn't as good as what Jay Abraham was would do, but is good enough. So that's the whole comparing yourself to others thing. I think it's pretty useful to be able to look at a job and say, oh, can this other person who's more or less like me or maybe doesn't even have some of the capabilities that I have, if they can do it, then I can probably do it. I can at least make more progress. The second technique is to think about your strengths. What you perceive as simple but others don't. The problem is that things that are easy for us don't seem like they're that important, but they can be miraculous to other people. You know, I have a phrase I like, which I learned, or I maybe I appropriated it actually from someone else, your obvious is your art. And you can think of all kinds of examples probably in your own life. I certainly can think of lots of examples in, in my life where I'm in a situation and things are going on and I know what the outcome of that situation is going to be. Maybe I'm in a meeting and there's a bunch of people talking about something. I kind of obviously know what the outcome of this conversation is going to be. I know what it has to be based on the initial conditions. But all the other people in the meeting have to discuss it for hours and hours before they can recognize that the solution has to be the thing that I immediately saw. Now, this happens to be a particular strength in some situations for me. Other people have other strengths. A lot of times, people who become artists and things actually become artists because for them, it's obvious how to draw a circle that's round. <laughs> Whereas for some people like me, I can't, couldn't draw a circle that was round if my life depended on it. And so it's obvious to them how to do it, and to me, it's a giant thing. And so I look up to those people and I respect them, but they may think that it's just simple and not very important because of course they can draw, anybody can draw a circle. Well, the fact is that not anybody can draw a circle. Think about your strengths, try to discover what they are. And there's various ways to do that. You can take the Clifton Strengths Finder test. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. I think it's really powerful. You buy the book, you get a code, you do this online test. They tell you what your top five strengths are. And what you'll probably see when you do that is you'll see, oh, yeah, those are things that I just assumed everybody could do. And the fact is that not everybody can do those things. That's just the way it is. I'll give you a good example of mine. One of mine is connectedness, one of my Clifton strengths. And connectedness means I see the connections between all kinds of things. And once I realized or learned that I had this strength, that Clifton Strengths Finder surfaced that for me, I realized that the way that I thought about certain problems in work and in life and so on was very different from how other people saw them because I could see how this problem was connected to all the other things going on. And a lot of people just don't have that intuitive vision. And that's not because they're not smart. It's because for me, that's the way my brain works. And so anyway, think about your strengths. And one of the things I think that often contributes to imposter syndrome is you think, well, that wasn't hard for me at all. So why should anybody be celebrating me for it? You know, maybe about a particular accomplishment. And the fact is that the reason they're celebrating it f you for it is because they couldn't do it, even though for you it's as easy as falling off a log. So think about your strengths. The third thing that I tend to do a lot when I'm trying to overcome imposter syndrome or to see where I really stand is I test myself. Maybe I read other articles on the topic about what I'm writing about or what I'm trying to present something as an expert. I want to see if the thing that I'm trying to contribute a different perspective, a different or better way to explain something or a deeper insight is actually real. For example, maybe you're an expert on roadmaps or you think you are, having been recognized as such in the past by your colleagues or something. But you see there's all these other people out there doing trainings and courses and writing articles on roadmapping and how to build a roadmap and all that. This is a product management 
specific topic, of course. So then you think to yourself, well, are you really an expert? Maybe you're over the hill. So what I recommend is finding a few articles about road mapping from these experts and reading them. Do you agree with everything in those articles? Are those articles wrong in any way that you know about? If someone came to you and said, I read this article on road mapping and I'm going to follow it, would you have some ideas for that person about how they could be more successful rather than simply following that article? The point here is we often think that other people who present themselves as experts are experts. And maybe they are, maybe they aren't. But that doesn't mean that you're not an expert. And so I do this all the time. I, as you know, I wrote a book about product management. So I'm always going out and looking at other books and articles about what is product management all about. And I look at those and I say, are there things that I agree with in, in this article? Are there things that I disagree with? Are there things that I hadn't thought about before? Are they mentioning some things that I think are really important? And what I find a lot of times is, no, they're not mentioning those things that I think are important that I covered in my book. And so what this does is it helps me continually refresh the sense that my book has valuable information about product management that isn't actually easily available in other articles. Now, the other articles often have really great stuff that I don't cover. It doesn't mean that my book isn't still interesting and gives you good tools for thinking about product management because there's all these other things out there. So testing yourself to see where do you really stand? Pretty powerful technique. Finally, one thing you might find when you test yourself is, oh, there is some stuff you don't know. And so you might want to do some learning. You might want to fill in some gaps that have opened up since the last time you were an expert. Chances are you're still an expert, but there's some areas where you should know more. You're going to focus on your strengths. You know, if you thought, well, I need to learn more about marketing. But if you're like me, if I wanted to learn more about marketing, I would not go take a graphic design course because I know that my strengths do not include being able to draw stuff and being visual. I just, I'm not visual. But I could learn a bunch of stuff about analytics for marketing because I am analytical. I might say, I see a gap in what I know that is aligned with my strengths, and I'm going to go fill that up by going and doing some learning, and then I can feel less like an imposter or somebody who's not prepared. That doesn't necessarily make me feel like an imposter, but it makes me feel like I need to know more about this thing to feel like a real expert at any rate. Learning, that's a really useful thing. It can be a rabbit hole. The pernicious side of this is you can just say, well, I don't know enough about anything, so I'm just going to only learn about stuff, and I'm never going to do stuff. And you really have to manage that. It's very easy for some of us to just say, I am going to go learn all the things there are to know about all the things and never come out and do something. I have been guilty of that in the past. I try to resist it. I love to learn stuff, and so... You know, I think a lot of people love to learn stuff, and so we're always buying new courses and things like that. But you can't do that forever. You actually have to go actually do stuff and take all the stuff you've learned and apply it. Those are four techniques I used. Compare yourself to other people. Think about your strengths. Test yourself. Test your knowledge. And if necessary, learn to fill in gaps that I feel can be really powerful to help overcome the sense that you don't know what you're doing or that you're not the best person at something or that maybe you're being celebrated in a way that you shouldn't be because you don't really deserve it. These are all sometimes in conflict, these four things, and each can be pernicious if used too much or incorrectly. So be careful. But there you go, the four things. I'll put those in the show notes. Let me give you a few more ideas about defeating imposter syndrome, You know, some of which I use and some of which I got from looking at articles and getting some people's advice when I was working on this script. You know, I can often use reasoning from first principles to help me validate my own thinking. You know, this is useful if you have what you think is a new or innovative idea, 
But maybe you're concerned that since no one else has had the idea, maybe it's no good. So one thing to do is to go back, back, back and see, given, for example, what the goal of product management is, which is to create a product that solves a problem that people want to pay for, pay, people want to pay for the solution. I've used this reasoning for first principles a lot when looking at what I put into my book to make sure that everything makes sense, right? That it kind of obeys the laws of physics of product management. <laughs> reasoning from first principles, really powerful tool. You may have heard about it in the context of Elon Musk, who uses this as a mental model. It's very powerful. Lots of people do this. And so I think if you can think about well, what are the things that absolutely must be true? And can I can my idea arise naturally from that? Or does it conflict with things that must be true or something like that? It's very powerful. The second thing, it's valuable to remember that you're not that special. You know, I know that if I have imposter syndrome, then other people do as well. And that means that I'm not the imposter. Everyone is, or maybe none of us are. Or it's just a feeling that we all have. And if everyone is carrying around this feeling, it must not be about me. In short, you can kind of give yourself a break about it because you're just like everybody else. Now, similarly, I know that if my product or project or team or company has challenges, then it's likely that other products, teams, projects, companies have similar challenges, even my competitors. Because again, even though we want to be, we're not that special. And so I always think about that when I have a competitive challenge with, with my product. I always think, oh, I wish my product didn't have this thing that it does wrong, or I wish it did this thing better. And then I always think about, well, I bet the product manager on my competitor product has the exact same thoughts with respect to my product. It's just in a different area where we happen to have a strength, and they don't. And so I always try to make sure that I'm trying to keep myself grounded in reality. I may not be perfect, but... I know because of reality that the chances of them being perfect and being way more perfect than I am are not that high. So you can use this idea of not being special in the other direction as well. You know, if I'm struggling to do something and I know that other people who are not special can do it, it makes it more likely that I can actually do that thing. And so it may make me feel that, oh, I can solve this problem or I can fix this issue if I apply myself a little bit more, or maybe put myself in the mindset of some other person who has already solved the problem, or indeed, maybe I can even go ask them how they solved it. So the fifth one, I recommend celebrating your past successes to remind yourself that you are capable of achieving great things. In fact, I recommend not just celebrating, but learning how to craft those successes into engaging emotionally resonant stories. I described that in the last podcast episode, number 64, Go to Market for Yourself. It's all about how to turn your accomplishments into great stories that you can use in job interviews, but you can also use them to help recognize that you're not really an imposter. I also have another podcast if you're interested in even more techniques for helping get through creative blocks, because creative blocks is another side of this, I think. Often when you get blocked creatively, you start to think, well, I'm no good. How did I get myself into this position? They're all going to find out that I'm a fraud, all that kind of stuff. Once you get through that creative block, those feelings often subside, at least for a little while. So I put some powerful creative blockbuster techniques in episode number 59 of the podcast called Creative Blockbusters for Product Managers, which you might want to take a listen to. They're very powerful. I use them all the time as well. And one other thing, I find that if I talk, that is out loud, about a problem, I'm more likely to solve it. My subconscious is better at creating solutions if I'm talking about something. And in fact, I'm not that great at solving problems simply by thinking about them. 
unlike some other lucky people, I'm also not good at solving problems by drawing pictures. That's a skill I'd love to have, but I just have accepted that I do not. I instead talk to myself. And I can do this by talking to myself when I'm totally alone. I don't actually have to be talking to anybody. Although that can be a good way as well. One of the best ways to solve a problem, and I talk about this, I think, in that Creative Blockbusters episode, is trying to describe a problem as a, you would to a smart six-year-old. That's a Feynman technique, uh, Richard Feynman. Um, and I find that that can be really valuable to help me think through a problem. And, and most of the time when I do that, simply by describing the problem, I actually am able to come up with a solution instantly. It's kind of amazing. I can often do this kind of talking style of solving problems while writing as well. I have to write as though I'm having a conversation, which apparently I kind of do because I can solve problems as I'm writing. And so that's a technique that you might want to try as well, talking to yourself or talking to other people instead of just trying to think through a problem. And again, this is for the situation where your imposter syndrome is being engendered by the fact that you're kind of stuck in a creative problem. I've given you and myself, because this is a pep talk for myself, a bunch of different ideas about how to overcome doubt in your own abilities to take action. I'll put these lists of actions I mentioned into the show notes at alltheresponsibility.com slash 65. Please let me know if you suffer from imposter syndrome or something like it. And if so, what techniques you have used to try to overcome it. And if any of the techniques that I shared are valuable to you, I'd love to hear your feedback on that. In the meantime, there's three things you can do today if you happen to have imposter syndrome or just uncertainty about whether you can do something. So first of all, learn your strengths. Get a test. The Clifton Strengths Finder, as I mentioned, is not too expensive, and it's reasonably accurate. There's a lot of other options as well. I'll list another really good one that's not cheap in the show notes as well. That's the Johnson O'Connor test. That's a two-day test. It costs a lot of money, but it's really worth doing, actually. You learn a lot about yourself. Second, use the mental tactics I recommended earlier, especially comparing yourself to others. Either you'll conclude that if they can do it, you can do it, or you'll conclude they have superpowers. I'm going to try to copy them or pay them to do it for me. And then a big picture thing is get to grips with predicting the future and the uncertainty and complexity implied by that. I'm going to mention this tool that I've used. I don't haven't done a podcast about it, but I think I will do soon. It's called the Kanafen model. Uh, you will not know how to spell that unless you already know it. I'll, you can find some links to the Kanafen model in the show notes. It's a good tool for understanding the difference between complex domains like what we live in in the product world and complicated domains, which sound similar, but they're quite different. Complicated domains are much more manageable than complex domains. Product people tend to be in the complex domains mostly, and that means a lot of uncertainty. That's one of the nature, the part of the nature of complexity is it's very uncertain. These tools hopefully will give you a little bit of a boost when you're suffering from imposter syndrome or similar challenges. Also, thanks to several folks on various Slack channels who gave me ideas and tools for beating imposter syndrome, including Bella Yoloff, Luke Walker, Phil Moorhead, Amanda Rogerson, Clement Cow, Anel Kimberovsky, Jess Evans, and Saad Asad. And if I missed your name, I apologize. And if I mispronounced your name, I also apologize. Now, I mentioned several resources, books, and previous podcasts in the episode. And of course, you can find links to all of them in the show notes at alltheresponsibility.com slash 65. You will also find links to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts on the show notes page. The great benefit of subscribing, of course, is that you'll get new episodes automatically when I release them, which is roughly once a week, sometimes every two weeks. There's more on the show notes page, including how to get in touch with me directly, a comment section, 
a link to my book, which I mentioned about 10 times today. I don't usually do that. And more. Your recommendations and ratings and reviews help other product managers and innovators find the podcast. So it really helps me out, spreads the word. You can also share the podcast directly from the show notes page as well. So let's all stay safe and as virus-free as possible out there. Until next time, this is Nels Davis. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye. We have ignition.